Well, it is Father's Day, and uh, let's do the, let's give it up for dads one more time in here. Um, yeah, we don't get enough love, so let's uh, let's give it up for our dads. And you know, speaking of dads, one of the one of the just pieces of advice that I've kept with me to this day from my dad is that when I was in high school, I decided to dig a fire pit in our backyard, and our house became like the hangout spot where every Friday everybody would come over and would have a big you know bonfire and get to hang out and. One of the pieces of advice that he gave me as he saw me digging this fire pit, it's kind of like he almost knew and saw into the future. And he came out and said, hey, son, no matter what happens, don't ever use gasoline to start that fire. And I'm like, okay, cool, got it, dad. Uh, It just so happens that a few months into having this fire pit and we're having people over and just in my teenage self, I just forgot to plan and never, you know, picked up any lighter fluid from the store, and it's about 15, 20 minutes drive to get to the nearest store to pick that up. We've got friends gathered. We watch a movie. We head outside for a bonfire. I go grab to grab some lighter fluid and realize we're all out. So I just think, you know, dad's not around. He's never going to know if I just douse a little bit of gasoline on here. So I went and grabbed the can of gasoline that we use for the lawnmower, just, you know, douse a little bit on there and then put the can away, and I knelt to light the fire, and it was just whoosh. I was covered in flames instantly, and then like a second later, the smell hit. If you've never smelled burnt hair before, let me tell you, it is a disgusting smell, and everybody was just like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Oh, what's that smell? (laughs) It was just terrible, and um, I don't know, since that incident, one of the side effects that I have also is that I started listening to country music shortly after that. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I learned a powerful lesson that day that obedience to my dad is really important because he wants the best for me. But I also figured this out, that depending on your circumstances sometimes, it can be really difficult to do the right thing, isn't it? That because I had friends there and maybe a couple girls that I liked were there at the time and you don't want to disappoint your friends and look like you don't know what you're doing. It's like, oh, I'm I'm just going to, you know, whatever. And I ended up not listening to my dad and learned a really valuable lesson about what obedience looks like. And maybe you've been there before in your life before where the circumstances around you just make it particularly hard to be obedient and to do the right thing that God has for you. See, we're going to be looking at today in 1 Samuel 24 an episode in the life of David. And I believe this is one of the main reasons why he is called a man after God's heart because he models for us, shows us what it looks like to do the right thing and to obey God no matter what the circumstances are. I believe that David is called a man after God's own heart because he's willing to obey God even when the cost is great. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles with me, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel 24. That's what we're going to be looking at, and we're going to be talking about obedience, which I know is not a popular thing to talk about, but here's what I realize also is that if you want to experience the life that God has for you, if you want to see him manifested in your life in a powerful way, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to have the best that he has for you, to be able to be used by him in a powerful way, it cannot happen without you also choosing to obey God in every single area of your life. So my question for you is, what would it look like for us if we were to have that kind of obedience in our lives? 
That we say no matter what the cost is, no matter what my circumstances are, I am going to choose to obey God and to do the right thing that he has for me. Would you pray with me? Father, we just pause right now to invite you into this space. And I know that we're coming into this room and some of us have plans later on to take dad out for lunch and we're getting together and all these things going on in our minds right now. And I just pray in this moment that you would quiet our hearts to be able to hear your still small voice in the midst of the noise. Father, would you remove me out of the way and would you just speak in such a powerful way? Take any words away from me that are not yours and would you just speak to every single person? Would you meet them right where they are today, God? Those in the room and those listening online right now, we just surrender this moment to you and invite you into this space in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. If you've been tracking with us, we kicked off a series on the life of David a couple weeks ago. Week one with Pastor Josh, we talked about David, who was the shepherd boy, the youngest in a family of eight boys, who was the most unexpected person that you would expect to be used by God in a powerful way. And yet that's who God calls and anoints to be the next king of Israel. That God picked him from the pasture and God used the pasture in his life to be able to mold him and shape him to be the next shepherd that God's people would have. And then last week with David and Goliath, we talked about what it looks like for us to be able to have bold faith in God, to actually move forward into all that he has for us, even when it's a giant that we are facing, to actually take God at his word and to have bold faith in him. And this week we're talking about David and his obedience and some of what's happening in the story now. He had the fight with Goliath last week, defeated Goliath, becomes this great army leader, marries the king's daughter. But as his fame is rising, Saul, who is this king who's become corrupt and who's, uh, whose spirit, uh, who God removes his spirit from. So Saul becomes this evil king that is now becoming jealous of David and wants to seek David to, to kill him. And he tries, in fact, multiple times to kill him with a spear. So David is out on the run for his life. And Saul is chasing after him. And that's where we pick up in the story. Chapter 24, verse 1, it says, When Saul re returned from following the Philistine... He was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rock. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost part of the cave. Here's what's happening. Here's the setting. Here's what that region kind of looks like. So it's this. Uh, wilderness. There's some caves there. He's got 3,000 men. He's pursuing after David, searching every cave everywhere as he's learning about David's whereabouts. And as you're doing that, you're out in the wilderness. Uh, there's no buckies. There's no uh, truck stops. And uh, Saul has to go re relieve himself. And the, the Hebrew euphemism that they use there is uh, that he had to go cover his feet. Uh, I'm not sure what he was covering. It wasn't his feet. I can tell you that. So he leaves his men and he goes into this cave and it just so happens that this is the exact same cave that David and his men are hiding all the way back in. Can you just picture that for a second that you're in a region that looks like this, several caves all around you. What are the odds, by the way, that he happens to walk into the exact same cave that David would be in hiding with his men? It's just unheard of and it seems to not be a coincidence. In fact, it's such a good opportunity that David's men say this to him. When Saul is in this vulnerable state, he's relieving himself here. And David's men say, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. 
The, David's men look at this and are like, man, there's no way this is a coincidence. What are the odds? They're like, this is the day. This is the day. David, you're going to become king today, baby. But look at what David does in that moment. That might just surprise you and just seem so different to you. Verse, uh, verse 4 says, Then David arose in a stealthy manner and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And after, Dave, after, that, after that, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words, and did not permit them to attack Saul. Picture that for a moment. The man who has been seeking after you, who has lost his mind, has been hurting so many people, putting people to death just to try to find you, is in a vulnerable moment, re relieving himself. You have an opportunity to claim his life. And not only that, but to become king as well. And David, this is how you respond. It just seems to shock so many of us how the story rolls out. And again, is one of the main reasons why David is called a man after God's own heart. There, there's a lot to unpack here in the story. So let's just dump, jump into it here and unpack some things and what that might mean for us. And if you're taking notes, number one, you see David obeying God in this moment. If you're taking notes, number one, that David's obedience grew out of reverence for God. David's obedience grew out of reverence for God. Um, I grew up in an African culture and there's just this idea of like honor and respect that you had for adults. They didn't even have to be your parents. You just respected authority and you respected your parents. I think I was about 29 years old when I found out that my dad actually had a first name because you weren't even allowed to call them by their first name. Contrast that with my kids who are growing up here in the West where I think my daughter Ava was like about two years old and she was trying to get my attention and she did one of these. Daddy, daddy, dad, dada. Nate, and I'm like, excuse me, what, what, what are you talking about? Calling me by my first name? See, there's something about just this whole idea of reverence that I think maybe our culture that we live in in the West has lost aspects of that. But when you read the scriptures over and over again, even the Hebrew people, they wouldn't even say God's name out loud because of the reverence that they had for God. And reverence, if you're not sure what we're talking about here, simply this, here's the definition of it. It's a feeling or attitude of deep respect tinged with awe and veneration. It would be like if the most important person you can think of walked into the room right now. Like let's say the president were to walk in the room. Well, maybe you don't respect the president. But let's say the president were to walk in the room or somebody really important, a celebrity, were to walk in the room right now. It would kind of change your behavior a little bit, right? You wouldn't just be sitting there nonchalantly and you just think about our God who's the creator of the universe, who's made everything around us that we know of, who is holy, infinite in wisdom and in power, and he calls us to treat him with reverence. And David just models that for us over and over again. And that same reverence for God was the source of David's obedience in this moment. That he's saying, hey, Saul might, might have lost his mind. And he might be mad right now, and he might be chasing after me, even though I've done nothing wrong to him. But because of the reverence, the respect that I have for God, because he is the Lord's anointed, I refuse to lay a finger on him. And what he does in that moment by cutting off his robe, his, Saul's robe would have been a symbol of his kingdom. So the minute that he did that, that robe would have become invalid or maybe not in code for what a king would have in the day or unclean. And so 
the minute that David cuts off a corner of his robe, he is just convicted. And it says that his heart just struck him because of the reverence that he had for God. And I know that we live in this day and age where we, we, we preach about God's love and how he loves you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And God is love and all those things which are true about God's nature and character. But let's not forget that he is also a holy God who deserves our reverence, our respect. And David just models that for us in this moment, how, how to have that awe and reverence for God. And if you're taking notes number two, David's obedience grew out of knowing the heart of God. David's obedience grew out of knowing the heart of God. So you have here in this moment all these men around him that are saying, David, you go become king right now. You go take his life, do this thing. And what's so funny is that they actually quote scripture to David to back up what they're asking him to do. Isn't it funny how sometimes we can use scripture and talk about God's promises and it always seems to just benefit me? It's always just the thing that makes my life a little bit easier or I maybe get to have more money and I get to have more comfort and all these things. And yet in the midst of that, David is willing to recognize that maybe this is not what the heart of God was for him in that moment. And it's, it's something we have to be so careful of in our lives that knowing the word of God without knowing the heart of God is dangerous. Knowing the word of God without knowing the heart of God can be a really dangerous thing. There's a theologian by the name of Tupac who has a song that is called, Only God Can Judge Me. Now, what Tupac is doing there, he's quoting James 4, verse 12, where it's talking about God being a judge. And James 4, verse 12 says this, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And Tupac read that and he said, only God can judge me. That means I get to do my, live my life, do whatever I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me anything. And knowing the word of God without knowing the heart of God can lead us to a really dangerous place in our lives. Where we begin to just twist scripture and use scripture to just give us what we want in the moment. And they're quoting the scripture to David. And David is saying, no, that's, that's not the heart of God that David has gotten to know. That you see something about David being out in the pasture with God. And you read the Psalms and you read about the intimacy that he had with God, allowed him to be able to discern the heart of God in this moment. And some of you I know right now are maybe facing some decisions that you have to make. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe do, do I buy the newer car? Maybe do I buy the bigger house? Do I, do I make a move? Do I all? And all these things that you can maybe even read scripture and say, yeah, God wants for me to have these things. Or there's nothing in scripture that forbids me from having these things, but is that what the heart of God is for you? Or does he maybe have a different plan for you? See, knowing the Bible is important, but knowing the God of the Bible is even more important. So are you in your life just stopping as you're discerning what maybe God might be doing in your life and asking, what is the heart of God in the midst of this? How is he calling me to respond? And that's why our theme for the year has been the heart of God. Well, we're saying, we just want to respond in every situation and stop and say, what is the heart of God for me with the situation that I'm facing right now? Because just knowing scripture sometimes cannot be enough for us if we're not discerning also what God wants to do. And we can begin to use scripture to justify sinful behavior in our lives as well. And we can begin to say things like, well, well, God wants me to be happy. Yes, he wants you to be happy and he wants you to have all these things, but he doesn't mean go be happy in this unhealthy relationship that is sinful. 
because that goes against his character and against his heart and his nature and against what he wants for you. His heart for you is to not have that. And you can even look at some of the, the shameful things that the church has done that to this day is keeping so many people away from Jesus. And you go back and you look at some of the crusades back in the day where people were using scripture as a weapon or even this, how about a more modern day example for us? Tomorrow is Juneteenth and you look at the history of this nation and how people even use scripture to encourage and to continue to support slavery in this country when clearly it is something that goes against the heart of God and how he's created every human being in his image and that's not his desire for our world. So knowing the word of God without knowing the heart of God is a really dangerous thing in our lives. So are you, are you putting into place practices in your life? Are you, are you stopping to just ask and discern, God, what, what is your will for me? Would you reveal your heart for me in the situation that I have in front of me? David's obedience grew out of knowing the heart of God and discerning what God wanted for him to do. Number three, David's obedience grew out of his trust in God. That here he is, he's been anointed and what he could do in the moment is go ahead and take Saul's life and become king because God had already told him that. But look at the conversation that happens after Saul comes out of the cave. It says that David went after him and he says, my Lord, the king. And Saul looks behind and sees David and David bowed to his face, bowed uh, to the ground with his face and paid homage to him and said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks you harm? He says, you've seen this day that the Lord gave you into my hand. I literally could have taken your life and I chose not to, to show to you that even though you seek harm towards me, I seek you no harm and I am loyal to you, in fact, king. And he goes on to say this, that may the Lord judge between me and you and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. David finds himself in a really interesting situation where his life has taken a detour or maybe there's a delay going on here. It can be confusing at times. And instead of just saying, I'm just going to take matters into my own hand and become king. He knew that that wasn't God's will for him. A shepherd boy who was a nobody out in the pasture recognized that the work that he was a part of, God began it and God was going to see it to completion. And the, the, the tendency or the temptation sometimes for us is to not be obedient and follow God in this way because we decide to just take matters into our own hands. And you read in the Old Testament, there's a story of God calling a man by the name of Abram, who was childless, who was old in age, who had no descendant, and God chose to call him, made some promises to him that he would give him a descendant, that out of him would come a nation that would be so large that it would be like the sand on the beach that you could not even count. And in a moment of delay and temptation, him and his wife Sarah decide, well, God said that he was going to do this thing for us, but maybe we should take matters into our own hand. And what that means is that maybe you should go and have uh, my servant that I have, and that's the way that you're going to have a descendant, and ended up producing an Ishmael. And I feel like there's a powerful lesson there for so many of us that God has begun some work in your life, that he begun, that he wants to sustain, that he wants to see through, and the tendency is for you to try to take matters into your own hands. And when we do that, when we don't obey who God is and when we don't stop to seek what is his heart for us in the matter, that we end up producing some Ishmaels in our lives, where we end up like the nation of Israel in the wilderness wandering around for 40 years and there's this constant delay and because of their disobedience to God, God continues to lead them in the wilderness to continue to teach them through that because of their stubbornness, because of their disobedience. 
And I think about a season in my own life. I didn't share this in the first service, but about probably a year and a half or two years ago, I just was wrestling with my calling and what God was doing in my life. And I've always, from a young age, I've shared my calling to ministry before and felt like God was calling me to ministry and kind of had an idea of what that looked like. And so I've just tried to live my life for the last 12 years of my life, just pursuing after, okay, what's God calling me to do? I'm just going to choose to be faithful and do that. And about two years ago, I found myself just wrestling with a lot of it, feeling like I was living out of where God had called me to live. It's not really being true to my calling and not being true to how he wired me to live out my call. So I end up pretty just discontent, discouraged in some ways. And you begin to do things like brush up your resume. You begin to look for different opportunities and things are kind of not working out. You're hitting these roadblocks in your life. And it's so easy in that moment to say, well, I think I'm just going to go do this thing. And I found myself at a place where I wasn't stopping to say, God, I'm going to choose to depend on you. I'm going to choose to wait on you. I'm going to choose to do what you tell me to do and pursuing other opportunities, some not even in ministry at all. Which looking back on that, I'm just like, how ridiculous was that? That I was even you know, thinking about that and kind of hit this roadblock moment in my life. And I was driving in the car one day and just kind of praying. And I felt like God just in that moment told me, he said, hey, the, the work that I've begun in your life, I'm going to sustain it. I'm going to bring it to completion. All the best things that have happened to you in your life haven't been you going out and doing it. They've come from you depending on me and waiting on me and making those things happen for you. So will you choose to trust me? And that same day in the car, I just was praying and I said, okay, God, I choose to surrender to you. Whatever your will is for me, I'm going to choose to be obedient. I'm going to choose to do the next faithful thing that you have for me and trust that, God, you are going to make this happen. I don't have to take matters into my own hands. And that same afternoon, I get home and in my inbox on Facebook is a message from Pastor Josh, actually with a role for me to come and join the team here at Mercy Road. And I showed it to my wife, Shane, and she's like, this is ridiculous. This role sounds like it was written exactly for who you are and how God has wired you to be and to serve him in ministry. And so many of us are going through maybe a season right now where it might feel like you've hit a delay or a roadblock maybe in your life. And the temptation is, I'm just going to take matters into my own hand. Or maybe for you, the desire is to be married and that hasn't just happened for you yet. And it's to say, well, I'm just going to go out and just go make it happen for myself. And you can begin to compromise and to live outside of who God has called you to be and the obedience that he's calling you to have in your life. And can I just encourage you in the midst of those seasons of the delay to just wait on the Lord? That maybe there's something that God wants to do in your life in that cave that you might find yourself in to shape your character, to strengthen you to prepare you to be able to sit on a throne someday and to lead his people, that if you compromise in the moment, you choose to spend much time in the cave, you choose to be like the nation of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, just wandering around because they were not willing to just depend on God and to rely on him for everything. But David, his obedience for God grew out of that trust that he had in God, recognizing God's sovereignty that God was in control of his life, that this nobody that God had called, God was going to see through the work that he was doing as well. And maybe a couple of takeaways for us as we wrap up our time together today. If you're taking notes, and how, how, do we, how do we make this more just practical and talk about what does that look like for us today? Number one, if you're taking notes, it begins with recognizing that God has called us to a life of obedience. God calls us to a life of obedience. 
And I know obedience isn't this like sexy thing, attractive thing that we talk about in church anymore. And in fact, everything in our culture today is anti-obedience, is anti-submission to God, is all about freedom, is all about autonomy, is all about do whatever you want to do. But God over and over again calls us to a life of obedience. In fact, I was just browsing the news this past week and I came across this article that described obedience like this. It said, high control religion is my ex and let me tell you about how I left him. Do you hear that language there? High control religion is my ex and let me tell you about how I left it. And that's the view that I think some of us tend to have when it comes to what we're talking about today of obedience in our lives. That it's like, well, well you can't tell me what to do. Well, I want my freedom. And over and over again, God is just calling us to this life of obedience and submission to him that if you want to experience all that he has for you, if you want to see God manifested in your life in a big way, obedience is a key to that. And look at what he says to us here in John 14. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear is not mine, but is my Father's who sent me. It bothers me to see too many Christians who claim the name of Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. And yet you look at their lives and there is no signs of obedience and submission to the authority of Jesus in their life. That it doesn't change anything about how they spend their finances. Their dating and sexual life and sex life doesn't look any different than anybody else. The choices that they make with their life doesn't look any different. And the scripture is telling us that... If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That our obedience to God, or that when we talk about holiness, what, what is holiness? Holiness is simply loving God with everything that we have in us. And anything that doesn't please the heart of God are going to be things that we're not going to do or not choose to engage in. Not because God is some high controlling acts that you need to get away from, but it's grow, it grows out of love for God and wanting to honor him and to please him in everything that we do because he's called you his and because he's given everything for you. And he wants to be not just the savior of your life, he wants to be the Lord of your life as well. And the scripture here in John 14 is saying this, that if you want to see God manifested in your life in a powerful way, that can't happen without you also choosing to be obedient to God. That see, because David chose to be obedient to God and to obey God, that's the whole reason why he's called a man after God's heart. That's the whole reason why God uses him to be the greatest king that you're going to read about in the history of Israel because of his obedience to God. And if you're taking notes, number two, that God calls us to a life of obedience because he wants the best for us. And the world is going to tell you, well, you need to just do whatever and religion is bad for you. You know, don't listen to this. Don't submit to these rules. And I'm like, well... If it helps me to keep my eyebrows and my eyelashes and not get burned, I think it sounds like a pretty good plan for me. Because see, in high school, around the same time that my dad was telling me, hey, don't, don't ever use gasoline to start a fire, no matter what. Don't, son, don't ever do that. Around that same time, there was another bonfire that was happening in our same county, 
or maybe there's a group of 15 to 20 high schoolers that were there about my age that were having a bonfire. Somebody decided to use gasoline to start the fire. There was a big explosion that happened. Many of them ended up in the hospital fighting for their lives with second and third degree burns. And the older I get, I just realized that my dad and the way that he raised me and some of the advice that he gave to me all grew out of love for me because he wanted the very best for me. And by the way, that's how your heavenly father feels towards you. That when he gives us these commands and when he calls us to obedience and to discern how do we live in this day and age that is so anti-God that is telling you to do whatever, it doesn't matter what you do. We choose to submit to God because we recognize that he loves us and he wants the very best for us. You know that when I went off to college was when I started calling my dad and we talk almost every single day now. Not because he's now, you know, a parent as a teenager coming in and telling me not what, what to not do and all those things. I choose to willingly call my dad and to ask him for advice about marriage, about work and ministry, about parenting and all those things because I know that he wants the very best for me and he knows what is best for me. And do you see God in the same way? As maybe you're looking at these decisions in your life and choosing, am I going to obey God or am I going to do what I want in this situation? And God over and over again is telling you how much he loves you, how much he wants the best for you, and that he is for you. So here, here's what we're going to do together. We're going to say these words. Let's go ahead and put them up on the screen together because I think it's easy to hear me talk about it, but I want us all to actually declare this truth together. So let's go ahead and say, God wants the best for me together. Let's put that up. On the count of three. One, two, three. God wants the best for me. Again, God wants the best for me. One more time. God wants the best for me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? With what you're going through right now. The decision you're facing. And, and ultimately it comes down to this. What, what is your view of God? Is he your heavenly father? Is he, is he that personable to you? Does he love you? Is he for you? Or is he just some being out there that's trying to keep you from experiencing your life and having fun in your life and all these things that you could do? Do you see God as your heavenly father? More perfect than any earthly father than you and I are going to have. More perfect. As great as my dad is, my heavenly father is even better. Do you see God in that same way in your life? Because the way that you see him is going to shape your willingness to be obedient, your willingness to be faithful to him. And some of you are finding yourself right now in a season, maybe it is a detour that you're going through right now. Well, God, I thought that this is what you had called me to do. And I've been following you, but it seems like my life has taken a detour. I've been anointed. I'm going to be the next king. But here I am in a dark cave hiding out from my life. It doesn't make any sense to me. What do you do in the midst of that? Choose to be obedient in the midst of that. Choose to wait on the Lord. That the, the waiting is so hard for us sometimes in our Christian faith. And scripture tells us that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. That there's something that God wants to do in your life, in you, in a dark cave. And that private moment of obedience in your life is going to set you up to be the greatest king that Israel had ever known. Before that public triumph in your life, it's all going to start with the public moment of faithfulness and obedience to God in your life. So if you're in a detour, in a delay right now. Maybe it's a disappointment that you're going through in life. You got married and the person that you married didn't honor their vows. And the temptation in that moment is to say, well, well, he cheated first. She cheated first. So it doesn't matter what I do. Well, they abandoned their vows. 
you choose to be obedient out of reverence for God, you choose to trust God, you choose to wait on Him, you choose to honor Him, it doesn't matter what your coworkers are doing at, at work, if they're being dishonest and gaining more money or promotions or whatever, that way you choose to be obedient in the midst of that because you cannot have God's best for you if you do not choose to be obedient in the midst of delay, in the midst of the detours, in the midst of the disappointments. Our God loves you. He is for you. As your heavenly father, he wants to bless you and do something amazing, incredible in your life, but you will never experience more of him in your life if you do not learn this simple truth that David just models so powerfully for us. Just obeying God and having this childlike faith. It takes childlike faith. That, that's what I'm trying to instill into my kids right now. Hey, if you, if you will listen to me, the things that I'm telling you to do, not to do, all of that is because I want the very best for you and it's going to set you up to win in so many situations in life. And God is just calling us to have that childlike faith and to just trust him no matter what the circumstances, even if it would be easier, even if there's more gain for you in the midst of it, even if it means that you lose popularity, you lose some friendships, that you're ridiculed or look at a, looked at a certain way because you're weird and you choose to live your life differently. God is calling us to obedience, to experience all that he has for us so that he can use us and do something powerful through us. Let me pray for us. Father, we just pause right now to acknowledge this, this simple truth of obeying you and obedience in our lives and how David, who is called a man, man after your own heart, just modeled that for us in such a powerful way. That God, I know that there's something in our human nature, in our flesh that doesn't want to obey you, that doesn't want to submit to you. But God, you say in your word that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Father, would you help us to have that kind of healthy reverence and fear for you that we would choose to obey you no matter what the circumstances even if there's great gain in it for us God that we'd always just be asking what is your heart in every single situation that choosing to honor you choosing to obey you would be the only command that we choose to follow in our lives God would you give us the strength to be able to do that and God, I know that in this room right now, some are in here that hearing this message about obedience is convicting to them because there may be some areas in their lives that they're not choosing to walk in obedience right now. Father, the enemy would have them believe that that conviction that they feel right now is your condemnation. And I want to pray against that right now, against that lie of the enemy. Would you remind them that the conviction they feel right now is you're calling them into something greater because you want the very best for them. Would they choose to believe that? That you, your heavenly, our heavenly father, you love them so much and you desire the very best for them. Would they choose to surrender to you and walk in obedience? God, would you help all of us? We love you so much for calling us to be a part of your family. We pray all these things now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.